Sometimes what makes a movie great is the inability to define what makes it great. We have a movie that is referred to by so many people as a romantic comedy that clearly isn't. It is a romance, there's a little comedy, but it's mainly a drama. And maybe life's just gotten easier, I don't know, but this this movie and these characters make a bunch of choices that are both understandable but bad and we love them for it but we want them not to it's it's that thing about looking at other people's lives that keeps us both grounded in our own decisions but questioning them at the same time i mean billy wilder is just a fantastic filmmaker and you know shirley mclean and jack lemon make this 1960 tragic romantic comedy a ball to watch. Here's the key. Just make sure you clean up when you're done. But in the meanwhile, enjoy the apartment. Welcome, everyone. All. Hear ye, hear ye. Welcome, welcome all of you to this kingdom of rom-coms. Here be the great rom-coms for all to see. I've got wonderful things for I to be. That didn't work. But I would be a very bad medieval peddler. I Can I ask you like an improv question? Yeah. Why always Scottish? Was that Scottish? I just pick, well, I just pick a voice and see where I end up. No, because you always go like this, and then you roll your R's. Like I can't roll it, my R's. You're not fat bastard. You realize this, right? <laughs> or you're kind of like you know how Michael Scott is always has a gun in improv. <laughs> you're like that, but with fat bastard. <laughs> look, we imitate what we look up to. He's tall. He, I I mean, I physically look up to him. I emotionally look up to him. I you eat babies like him. <laughs> I really don't. I don't want to. I don't want to emulate everything he does. Um, <laughs> you don't want to emulate the eating of babies. <laughs> it's it's sad that there are certain things I do want to emulate because seriously, <laughs> that was my wife's ice cubes, everybody. <laughs> um, but hey, can I tell you? I had the coolest dream the other day. Can Did I just wanna, tell the yeah, world? Yeah, you want to tell everybody who we are first? Well, I'm Ryan Graves. And I'm Kelly Song. And this is a gentleman's guide to rom-coms. And I'm going to tell you about this dream that I had. Whoa, cool. Better be sexy. It's not. I dreamt the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But in my dream, it was like a director's cut. There were like different scenes. And like it was an alternate version. And it was like all these different things happened in it. I'm mm-hmm. like, I've never seen Ferris Bueller day, day off like this. And it was like the most fat- phantasmagorical experience because Ferris Bueller is one of those like core movies yeah, for my you know mind. It by heart. And to watch it differently, just kind of like open up my brain. Can you give me a scene? Uh, it like ended differently. Like it didn't end the way it was supposed to end. Like he like lost. Like, like the Jeannie... top, the top actually <laughs> fell down. Yeah, like Jeannie got to him, and like he he like oh no yeah. It was it was really weird. And I woke up. I was like, what an interesting. Him movie. and Sloan never got married. <laughs> what was your, what would be your like? What's a movie that you would want to like experience differently? 
like get a different wait is this is this like like the question like if i wanted to experience it for the first time no like what if what if i could go into your brain and like swirl around the experience of your memory of a movie you know really well like the princess bride if i could like no i wouldn't <laughs> no this is a weird this is a weird proposition because you're like <laughs> saying do you want to do you want to take something that you love and just mess with it? Yeah, I want to like matrix your brain or like inception your brain. Like the like a particular movie where it's like I could use a remix of that. Cuz oh. like Ferris Bueller like I have a moratorium on Ferris Bueller cuz I've seen it too many times where mm-hmm. I've become numb to it. Yeah. And what was great about this dream is that it remixed it and swirled it around with some chocolate sauce. I'm like, "Mmm, I love this." I see. I see. I see what you're saying. Like Kelly's favorite movies, A Knight's Tale, Princess Bride. I don't want to do it to my favorite movies. I want to do it to something that I... What's something you know really well? That I know really well and would want a remix of. Like for me, the movies that I've grown up with were Indiana Jones, the original Batman, the Star Wars movies. Yeah, but you wouldn't want remixes of those because they're like near perfect movies. But are there any movies that you're sick of because you've watched too much of it? Have you had too much of a good thing with a certain movie? I Let me just think for a second. Well, my brain just keeps going to movies that I wish were better. Yeah, like, that's acceptable. Like I, I, but I just I, like I wish you could take The Hobbit and make it better <laughs> for me. <laughs> I'm not going to make friends by any of the things that I say here. I think that's, I think this is a ready player one, like science fiction thing where it's like two friends come out of a movie and they're both kind of disappointed. And you know how we rewrite a movie. I just think it'd be cool if in the future we could remix a movie. We literally could rewrite the movie and like go and just give someone like a patch file for their brain. And it's like, we fixed it. No, that and sounds, they can just put the this, patch, and they could watch. This their sounds like a really it. bad dystopia. I <laughs> I dislike the idea of this. The very premise, sir. No, thank you. I get out. I'm getting all these ideas because I read William Gibson, and I'm just going to make this blanket recommendation. Neuromancer by William by William Gibson uh-huh. is the basis for the Matrix, Ready Player One, and Inception. These these things would not exist without Neuromancer. It is. It is the cornerstone of those kind of science fiction stories. And okay. I'm convinced that The Matrix is a ripoff of Neuromancer. So highly recommend this wonderful science fiction book. Sure. And it really makes you think about things. I really want to you to step back as somebody who's a writer, as a creator like myself. Mm-hmm. Imagine someone you... remixing your story. I know. It's terrible. So what are you saying <laughs> right now? Well, are you are you are you like what 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 ethos is that? Like what philosophers like the philosopher of chaos. What you're kind of like Lokiing <laughs> all about here. But sometimes you do enjoy a musical remix that gives it a fresh spin, don't you? You mean like a cover? No, like an actual remix, like um, like a, a, re- re- a re- remix of something. Yeah, like I, uh, Robin, Robin and I listened to uh, is it Miko's disco version of Star Wars. There you go. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, you enjoy the disco? No, it's not. No, it is. It is because it's not somebody saying, "Ah, here's the original," but I just added a couple of things. It's somebody saying, "I've made a new thing out of this thing." Well, they're like they watch Star Wars, like you know what's missing? Disco, and then they fixed the problem. <laughs> okay, so but but was there a problem that you had? See, this is what I'm saying <laughs> with with your example with Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You. 
you had this thing that you were tired of and you needed to freshen it up. It was like I had too much cocaine. I'm like, this cocaine is no longer doing it for me. I so need you something added different. to meth. I needed to get some kind of new high from this movie. Uh, okay, 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 okay. Um, <laughs> so I'm just trying to get you off on these brain drugs. Wow. Well, there's there's that for sure. But you're see, you're you know, open to fixing some things, fixing I, some problematic oh, movies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's oh, there's a bunch of problematic movies that we could remix, but yeah. that's more an edit. If I could remix a, a, a remix, that's what we should be asking. Not I would like to rewrite the movie. I would like to remix the movie. Mm. If it's not. And the, a script thing that we're fixing, but like an element thing that we're changing out. I would call that like a remix of okay. like, don't have Richard Dreyfus in this part. Make it Ron Howard instead. You know what I would remix? Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, okay. How would you remix it? I would make it less symmetrical. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I would add a bunch of curves <laughs> to it. Now, I think, I think the movie has so many pieces that I love. Mm-hmm. It's like... It's like listening to an old song where you're like, I like all of these instruments. I like these lyrics, but the way it came together, it just kind of bores me. On paper, it should have been your favorite movie. It should have been my favorite Wes Anderson, for because sure. Because it is all the elements that you enjoy. But like like any old like if you if you listen to like any any song by like Led Zeppelin, they might take like an old folk song uh, or Bob Dylan for instance. They'll take like a song, basically copy it, mm-hmm. but give it the spin that just gives it that like verve and excitement that yeah. makes it interesting to listen to over yeah. and over again. I think if you did the same thing, but with like more emotions mm-hmm. in that movie, I think I would enjoy that. And if that's your favorite Wes Anderson movie, I'm so glad you enjoy it. Yeah. And uh, for a price, Kelly can inception your brain to show you the way that he wanted it. To yeah, you're, you'll wait 50 years while we <laughs> develop the technology. Would you want to inception your brain about this movie that we watched today? Yes, and let me do it. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean, that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. This week, we're doing the 1960 classic, The Apartment. Mm -hmm. Definitive article, The. Not any old apartment, The Apartment. Directed by Billy Wilder, winner of several Oscars, Academy Award thingies, including Best Picture, I believe. And a Jelly of the Month Club Award. Jelly of the Month. I was famous for it. Can't go wrong. Jelly of the Month. If you could have one jam or jelly... For your peanut butter sandwiches, what would they be? Uh, peanut butter sandwich made, made with, with jam. jam. One for me and one, one for, for David, David Amram. Amram. God, Raffy, thank you for getting us through these tough times. <laughs> I'm a raspberry jam kind of guy. Me too. Ah. It's the best one. Okay, we can move on. So the... No need to remix it. <laughs> no need to reiterate. I will not be taking questions. Uh, the story of this movie is... One of C.C. Baxter, who yep. works for an insur- insurance company, played by Jack Lemmon, who's saucy in this movie. Not just a insurance company, but like one with a population, of, I think he said 31,000. Yeah, that's a lot of peeps. And when you get inside this building, it's it's rough, folks. It's, yeah. it's like the happy-go-lucky version of 1984. Yeah, they're <laughs> happily buzzing along like drones. Uh-huh. I mean, it's before we even thought about it. They're like, I'm happy to be working in the city. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. Jack Lemon is just, 
he is the only one in a rom-com in this movie. Right. Because <laughs> he's real happy. He's just looking for that promotion. Mm-hmm. And he's in a conundrum. And I think this mm. is the best way to describe, like, let's talk about why this script is great. Yeah, we first have an in-media conundrum. First element is the man has a conundrum. He doesn't have just a conflict. He has a conundrum. Mm. Because a lot of movies, they present a conflict where you can see three points that need to take place in order to solve the conflict, and you're just kind of waiting for them to get there. And it's like, Hugh Grant, it's so simple. Just do this and this and then this, and then you'll have figured it out. But Jack Lemon is in a conundrum, and I don't know how to get him out of it, because his conundrum is he has his apartment that he's basically loaning out to his several bosses. For them to have affairs at. With random ladies seemingly maybe like either They're people mistresses. they meet at, either people they meet at the bar or people who work under them yeah and speaking of remixing <laughs> wah, 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 problematic <laughs> yeah man watch your hands mr kirkby i beg your pardon one of these days i'm gonna shut these doors on you and well but that's the whole point is that uh-huh. these guys are very problematic but and you're watching him kind of suffer under this because he's like, I can't, I well. Well, the reason he's doing it is because if he allows this to go on long enough, he's supposedly going to get promoted. Yeah, because you're watching it and you're like, why are you suffering like this? Because he doesn't go home right after work uh, and he, you know, has to like while away the time most nights and then he's hungry and he's just kind of suffering. I, I'm going to throw this to you because we, we get that where he comes home he sees the light is still on Mm -hmm. like obviously people have defiled his couch yet again or his bed i don't actually you know does he open up the bed or is it just like does everybody do it on the couch i know it you you don't want to think about it but he's waiting out there and i was like you know what when when have i had a roommate that got (laughs) not so (laughs) so busy that i needed to give them like space by hanging out elsewhere yeah it wasn't ever a problem you and i had (laughs) or at least you never had a problem with me i mean you didn't have a problem with me either because luckily the um like any curious any entrances that we had we had double yeah it was great we had this uh deck thing that kelly could use and i used the regular door i just knew to never use the deck door that was goes straight to your room at least least not at night most of the time, because there was you just because there were so many times you never quite know, you never quite know what you could be walking into. Daytime, afternoon delight. Good for you guys. I'm I'm very happy. Well, for I'm you. just saying it is a thing that happens during the day. Not that I partake necessarily. Well, I do, but you do. But, but like, man, that was a great apartment. The, <laughs> it was. the but we're here. We're here in his apartment. Yeah, and we're like, why are you suffering? And then we just kind of observe, like, oh, he's starting to play, not play these guys, but like he's... He's playing the game. Yeah, he's playing the game because we see that there's like hundreds of people all with the same position. Mm -hmm. And a brilliant, one of the most famous shots in cinema history is just Jack Lemmon in the midst of all of these workers. And it's just rows and rows I couldn't pick him out at first. I was just like, I don't know where you are. It's great. And we just kind of visually get... Within a single shot, we're like, this guy is stuck. So do you think that that shot had a matte painting way in the back? Because I think it did. It looked like it went on too far to be believed. Yeah, I think they made it very exaggerated, but it totally works and it's yeah. still believable. Yeah. 
And so he he's just trying to like get to move the needle on his career. And this Billy Wilder, I I love Billy Wilder because he just doesn't pull his punches. Mm. He's like, yeah, corporate America sucks, guys. Mm-hmm. Because the only way somebody's getting ahead here, and we kind of we kind of get this through his conversation with one of his desk mates who like works next to him. He's like, I've worked here for years longer than you, and you're getting promoted. Mm-hmm is to cheat yeah. essentially like expose yourself in a horrible way which mm-hmm. is let people have sex in your apartment so that they will like fudge the numbers and say that you're more worthwhile than other people and right. you deserve to be promoted well i'm sure i'm sure he's i mean he seems like a up and up like he we, seems like he's a hard worker yeah because yeah. we see him like working the phone to like uh, schedule his week with all these guys trying to use it, and like he's like hustling to oh, like get his apartment scheduled. I'd be so bad at this version, this part of his job. Yeah. Like, I'm slightly organized. <laughs> I I would mix it up, and there would be many people there having sex on the same night, which some of them seem into <laughs> at, at, in, in this movie. But to be fair, I do think the movie makes a case that this guy is a good insurance man where it's just kind of like yeah. good for him, I guess. But like, I think he is deserving of the promotion also, but in order to like get ahead, he still has to do the dirty work to get there. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. He is, uh, he's not really doing much of the dirty work though. No. So, but when when he gets to work that first day, we he meets Fran, or well, we meet. He has been friends with for a while. It seems Fran Kubelik, which is kind of like the office elevator hottie. She's mm-hmm. elevator Pam. Yep, kind of. Yep, in a way where like everybody's like, ah, I'd like to get me a slice of that, and like. <laughs> One of the guys, David David Lewis, not to be confused with David Thewlis, mm. um, smacks her butt on the way out of the elevator, and it's like, it kind of it sets her up as like, she's just like she's not out for anything else in life, really, other than this. It's just a job. She's, it's just a job. She's she's just this girl who works there, and mm-hmm. you know Jack Lemon is interested in her, and it seems kind of sweet. But and- she's got zest. Yeah. Right she, away we see that she's got zest. She seems far more interesting than a lot of these people. And yet, like, she also seems a little old-fashioned. She appreciates the fact that Jack Lemon takes his hat off mm-hmm. in the elevator, which, she, like, he we kind of get that he does in deference to her. Yeah. 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 Which is, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting courtship where he's not courting her, but he's doing that thing from afar where he's like, I want to make this person seem good. Yeah. And it's for a friendship, but you know, he feels more than yeah, that. Yeah, he, he he very clearly kind of likes her and we see him just kind of laying the foundation. Right. Mm-hmm. When does the real problem start? Well, he gets to a point where the big boss takes notice of him. Yeah, the big big boss, boss hears through the grapevine that there's an apartment for fucking. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, he's played by Fred McMurray. Fred McMurray. Who was in Billy Wilder's earlier film, Double Indemnity, yeah. 1944. Which I think he film. also plays an insurance adjuster. Yeah. Doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And this... This people have like made the connection of like this would have this is what would have happened if he stayed straight and just never right. and he just went all the way up <laughs> all the way to the top which is is true because he's all about like infidelity and stuff in that right. movie yeah so he's 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 getting his yayas different ways and in this movie like he's he's basically playing like Don Draper's got his issues but I feel like he's playing a more evil version of Don Draper yeah where he's 
he's up in the top office. He's well, he's number one at this firm. Yeah. And he he does everything but directly ask for the key to the apartment. He just implies it. Mm-hmm. And poor Jack Lemon thinks he's getting promoted. No, he's just like, getting asked for a key and he realizes he has to do this to get promoted. Right. But he's like okay with it and being like, okay, I'm not gonna really worry about these mid-level bosses i'm just gonna work it for the big boss because that's all i really need to that's all i need to impress there's one penis that needs to be important to me and (laughs) it's it's fred mcmurray's i'm just gonna take care of him uh and take care of him he does and what we observe behind jack lemon's back is we eventually find out that the girl that fred mcmurray is after is the same girl that jack lemon is after yeah but neither of them understand that yet no and it's really good dramatic suspense because we're like, oh man, like we that know, sucks. And let's see, I think it's the like he gets promoted eventually, and oh, like I mean, we get to meet his neighbors in the meantime, where yeah. he has this doctor, Doctor Dreyfus, mm-hmm. who uh, lives next to him and is kind of awesome. I really like Doctor <laughs> Dreyfus, um, and then he's got like this landlady and. The, his neighbors think that he's a Lothario, basically, yeah. where he they hear his parties and him having sex at all hours of the night. But it's not really him. It's yeah. A bunch of other people, which I don't know if it's better or worse to be mistaken for a Lothario and not actually go through the effort of it, because I don't know, I'd be too lazy to do all that. Yeah. You know, there's this weird personality quirk of Jack Lemon's character, which I think makes him interesting. Um, but at the same time an idiot (laughs) where he, he thinks that, you know, it's better that everybody thinks this because like, you know, his landlady finds out, then he's probably getting kicked out of the apartment. Right. Right. Um, I don't necessarily know where that is in Elise where it's like, you can't have other people over here to have sex in your apartment. Well, I mean, I feel like in the olden days of the fifties and sixties, there was just these crazy things where if your landlord was like, that's dumb, they could just kick you out. Like, you know, the, but there there is something about, like, people spending, like, I remember, like, the lease that Robin and I signed, not at our current one, but at our old one. If you have somebody staying the night at your place for longer than, like, three nights, you have to let your landlord know. Oh, right. Because they're, like, like, your roommate now. Yeah. And it's like, nobody ever does that. Yeah. But, but I, I think in the laws on the books back then, they could have easily made an accusation that he was running a brothel. Yeah. Sure. I think they could have easily levied that against him. And, I mean, he essentially is. Right. And I think, but he's not getting paid. So I I can, and this is why it's a conundrum. Uh-huh. Because he's got to have justified it for himself. He's like, well, they're not paying me. I'm not depending on them financially to be doing this. Uh-huh. I'm getting something out of it. It's kind of annoying, but we all win in the end, right? Because I'm not even using it that much anyways. So Sure. <laughs> it's... I he's not I trying in the morning, so it's fine for me. <laughs> he's not trying to run a brothel. He's not trying to do something nefarious. He's yeah. just trying to do the right thing in this very weird, wacky world. The right thing's a strong, <laughs> le- the, like virtue well, to levy for, a, for him, him in the sense of. Well, I don't want to be stuck at this desk the way the guy next to me has been stuck at this desk. So what am I going to do? I love how when he does get the promotion and he gets into his new office, Billy Wilder shoots it in such a way where Jack Lemmon is so happy the way the only like 
the way only a drone can be happy where he's like, I've moved up. And it's literally just that he has a small, like a slightly larger box, but he's in the same exact room as he was before. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but what I what I mean to say is Jack Lemon is so not only so okay with being thought of as Lothario, but he is okay being thought of by anybody as like a bum too, mm-hmm. like a, a like a bad guy, and it just sloughs right off his ego. He almost has none. There's something admirable for me in that noble, I would say. Yeah, but uh, but it's a it, the reason why I feel like his character is so unique is because it's noble yet idiotic right because he's not doing it sometimes he's doing it to be self-sacrificing but other times it's like practical and do you think he's a pushover he he i think he both is and isn't Mm -hmm. because he that one that's what makes him such a fascinating human character to me because i i think he is he is a pushover because he lets anybody do whatever because they, they always want. talk him out of the apartment like he's sleeping yeah. and they're like you got to get out he's of got here. no backbone to s- stand up for what he wants right. but at the same time it doesn't bother him so much like especially in his ego yeah. it's not like his ego's ever hurt it's just his he's uncomfortable for a while this is the challenge of writing a good character where you want them to grow so you have to start them in a like place where they're kind of weak mm-hmm. but you have to have a character that's really admirable and people don't tend to admire weak people. Sure. And we want to see them become that so strong person. So you have to have person. qualities. Yeah. And yeah. so I think it's a beautiful blend of a human person that- Me too. I really, I liked him in the first 10 minutes. I'm like, you're in a conundrum. I want to see what you're going to do about it. Yeah. Like, I want to see this guy, not what anyone would do. I want to see this guy deal with it. Yeah. And and do it. do with it what he does- No, (laughs) basically it all comes to a head at this party. They have a new year's party after he's been promoted. Right. Or is it a Christmas party? Um, I think it's, it's a Christmas party. Regardless, there's people dancing, making out in the, it's way sexier than the Christmas party at the beginning of, uh, the Santa Claus. (laughs) What does the, the doll say? Well, there's some lady sitting on Santa's lap. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's a a sexy party too. But uh, Mr. Sheldick, Drake's secretary, drops the bomb to um, Fran Krublik, uh, who Mr. Sheldick's sleeping with, that like, hey, he slept with basically everybody in the office, and Mm -hmm. he's told us all that he's going to divorce his wife, Mm -hmm. which is another thing that we kind of glazed over, where they go to this um, Chinese restaurant at one point in time, and he's like, I'm going to leave my wife. And she's like, yeah, I've heard that before. And this is right when she's supposed to be going on a date with Jack Lemmon. Yes, yeah, so the I feel like that's one of the important plot points is uh, Fred McMurray takes Shirley MacLaine out and Miss Kubelik, and Miss Kubelik has told Jack Lemon, who finally got the nerve to ask her out, she's like, "I'm kind of spoken for for tonight, but I think I will like come go see the music, go man see the you. music man with and you." The, and it's all wrapped up in irony because Jack Lemon got the Music Man tickets from Fred McMurray so earlier that, he that can day. Have a night out with the with, lady, yeah. And so it's like it's this love triangle that nobody knows is happening. No one knows that they're in a love triangle yet. Yeah, yeah. So we get this really beautiful scene where Miss Kubelik is talking to Fred McMurray, and we see her total conflictedness of like. 
she genuinely did have really deep feelings for this guy, but she also wised up and realized this guy is married and what am and I, he's not leaving her. It's 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 just not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And I totally like I'm like, yeah, I'm with you. I understand she, you. She has the coolest, like dry, disaffected sadness. Yeah. Like she's written well and I think she does a lot with the material too. Yeah. 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 So later there's this Christmas party and uh you know, Miss Kublik before on the music mandate stood Jack Lemon up because mm-hmm. Fred McMurray convinces her to stay out with her yeah and do the deed in the home of the man who wanted her in the first place that heartbreaking ap- that apartment's got to have weird smells in it yeah like really when you when you come home as Jack afterwards. Lemon you know he's he's like opening the door at like four or five times he's just like <laughs> just airing out the apartment <laughs> But we just have to sit in this irony because he still doesn't know. No. He still doesn't understand, but we know, and it's just so painful. And he doesn't fully find out until he had, at one point in time, he returns this mirror that was left over at his apartment to Mr. Sheldrake, and it's broken. And he's like, oh, I'll give, I'm Fred McMurray. I'll get that back to my lighter. And <laughs> it's like Jimmy Stewart with like <laughs> an infected tooth or something. <laughs> Ow. And, <laughs> Here, see here, Baxter. <laughs> um, so, so then, uh, like at this party, Shirley MacLaine shows him the mirror, and so he connects. He's like, "Oh, Sheldrake is sleeping with the lady I like with that, you. What a in bummer! My apartment. Yeah. What? Like, I, I have to go home and just Im- like, it, I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine being with you because I have to imagine my boss being with you. Oh, otherwise I don't get the promotion. It's so painful. It's it's bad, and the but like really their stories just don't come together until Christmas. Yeah, no, that it's that same night. I think it's like a Christmas Eve party because he finds out and he's like, "I'm gonna go get wasted." Because that's fucking terrible. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And this this girl at the bar. Like it's just a really great scene. This girl at the bar keeps like trying to get his attention by shooting um, uh, paper straws. Yeah, and him. it's one of those things where it's like, oh, he'll he'll notice on the third one, but he never notices. And that's see, this Robin Robin was like, this isn't a comedy. It has comedic <laughs> moments, and she she's right. It is a drama, not a comedy. But I thought the comedic timing of this, where he just never saw yeah, these it's coming, brilliant. It's brilliant, and it's brilliant because he also just. <laughs> He's such a vacant character, mm-hmm. and him being drunk makes him more vacant. Yeah. Yeah. He's wonderful. And so he has this drunken night with this woman who, <laughs> what a backstory. Her husband is in prison in Havana, Cuba, and he's this jockey. There's a lot of husbands in, in prisons because we find out that the one of the past people that Shirley uh, McLean yeah. dated is also in prison. Yeah. And she gets a nice, rich backstory, just like Richard Curtis style of like, we didn't need to know this person's backstory but we got it anyways yeah. it just fleshes mm-hmm. out the whole the whole world um meanwhile at uh cc baxter's baxter baxter huh? no! mr mandrake mr mandrake mr sheldrake excuse me and f- <laughs> he's a tree miss kubelik wait a mandrake is it no mandrake is a root yeah, that's right. Get it right. Um, they're having it out, and he's trying to justify him not yet leaving his wife, and he's doing it the way that I would have expected a, a dick like him. It's to do so it. condescending. Yeah, he's like, you know, it's 
he he's saying all the things that she's expecting him to say, and then he's making her feel bad for feeling bad about it. And then the cherry on top of his condescending bullshit is that it's Christmas, and he's like, I didn't get you a gift. After she gives him a really thoughtful gift. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I didn't get you a gift. I wasn't sure. So here's a hundred bucks. Go get yourself something nice, toots. Whore <laughs> is what he says with his money. <laughs> yeah. And the great thing about his characterization is that he doesn't act like his actions. He acts a certain way, but he has these actions that show his true character, but he's trying to portray himself as a better person. He sees himself as a better person. And he holds himself up in a higher light. I think think it's, I mean, it's Billy Wilder being like, just because you have money doesn't mean you have class. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Shirley MacLaine takes that the way she should because it's an awful thing for him. And it's like, yeah. there's no two ways of looking around such an action like that. And so I love this moment because she, she's left in this apartment, right? Mm-hmm. She's left, but she doesn't leave. And she has this world, mm-hmm. right? She can do anything here. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know when the person's coming back. It's tenuous in that way where it's like you could get caught, mm-hmm. but but it has nothing to do with sex. She like, have you ever done this where you've been in a place where maybe it's not a place that you weren't supposed to be, but it's like saying at work after they've closed. Yeah. Or in a movie theater, like past like have you ever have you ever just sat in a movie theater and not left and then the next movie starts playing? Oh no, I've never done stayed that late. Ooh. I I just sat in the back and like no one noticed. <laughs> like nobody noticed when they were cleaning and I was on my phone then I realized I was like I could just keep sitting here <laughs> and then I just stayed to watch the next movie. And it was great, but like that's kind of what this moment feels like. It's yeah. pregnant with possibility. Ooh, pregnant with possibility. That's a great um that should be your next book. <laughs> It sounds like it sounds like a Hallmark movie. <laughs> Pregnant, Pregnant with, with, with possibility. possibility. A Hallmark original movie. So she basically finds some sleeping pills and so we don't know what happens. Here's and, where the movie takes the it it has up until this point, hitherto now, has had this very jaunty comedic tone with Jack Lemon in full comedy like just he's our comedic hero throughout. Sure. And this is the scene where the movie goes Shoo! and veers directly plunges into the hell of tragedy. Yes. Or at least drama. Like it's not it's tragic. not quite tragedy, but it's it gets it gets traumatic. Yeah. For yeah. a long sequence. Because he he comes back with this Brad mm-hmm. that is obviously just down to clown. Yeah. And he sees Miss Kubelik in his bed and he's just like, oh, I have to deal with this now. Like, on yeah. top of everything else. And he's else. like, I'm over you. I'm over you. I, I don't want to like you anymore. Just get out of my house, please. And then he realizes that, oh, no, she took a bunch of sleeping pills. Mm-hmm. And so he kicks the other lady out. Mm-hmm. And I love this because she's like, when I tell my husband how you treated me <laughs> when you wouldn't sleep with me. It's just, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you tell him. Okay. And then he goes and gets Dr. Dreyfus and... This is another moment where Jack Lemon has a chance to say anything. He could say like, you know, this guy was over with this broad or like I found her mm-hmm. or something or like she stumbled in here or whatever. Any number of things. But no, he says, 
oh yeah, you know, women Things happen. She she I I didn't want to get serious with her. Thus yeah. she and he puts he puts himself in the place of Fred McMurray. And so psychologically it's this weird moment where he villainizes himself so that Fred McMurray, his boss, and Frank Kubelik, his like love interest don't get in quote unquote trouble. Mm-hmm. But in, in that way it's noble, but I think it's also psychologically he is putting himself in Fred McMurray's shoes and in a really weird kind of sick and twisted way that he doesn't oh. realize he's also vicariously being his, her boyfriend in this moment. That is an interesting read. I don't, I don't think I don't, it's necessarily intentional, but, but it's, it's hard not to read. It ha- It is undeniably there. And like the psych minor in me was like, no, it checks out. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> like, it, it definitely is like part of the film's DNA. Can you grade that paper for me? There's this horrible, great scene where they're like pumping the like. It's 1960. This is a movie. It, this is 1960. Is this okay? Is this pre or post Psycho? This is pre Psycho. So it, they they couldn't show the toilet. They couldn't show the toilet, but we heard vomiting because, yeah, like, uh-huh. my subtitle said vomiting. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay, and yeah, this is this film uh, along with Billy Wilder's other film, Some Like It Hot does feel like it's swerving away from the Eisenhower era yes. of um, you know, squeaky clean nuclear family politics and bring it into a much more real world of what the 60s would turn out to be. And I'm, now that we've seen a second one of his films, it feels like he, he knows that it's going to be hard to do that. And so he tricks the audience by giving them like a soft premise at first. Yeah. And then he's like, you're in it now. Yeah, well, it's also really deceptive in the same way that when we think about a movie, like I was thinking this is very similar, it's Dirty Dancing. It's like, oh, yeah, Dirty Dancing, where there's the people, there's dancing, mm-hmm. and don't put baby in the corner. And then, same thing. Shh. Abortion. Like, <laughs> just <laughs> deep, like, oh my God, it's getting very traumatic in here. Uh-huh. But I feel like I'm coming to appreciate the tragic comedy. Yeah. I think that both yeah. these movies are swirling around because and don't get this wrong this is also a romance yes like i think probably first and foremost it's a romance yeah yeah um but i think i felt you would you would think that the movie would the tonal shift would just kind of like throw you and never let you back in but it it took me and plunged me into a story that i was already invested in and just was like just digging into and the music I think is they do a really good job with the music of like slowly over the course of the movie cueing you as to the changes because mm-hmm. the music gets more and more minor, more and more like suspenseful. Like there's this scene where he's like coming to the apartment with the uh, his date. And when they're coming up the stairs, the music is so dark. You don't really know why yet at first, but it makes you feel why. Yeah. You're like, yeah, something dark is coming. Yeah. And the the doctor has to like pump her stomach and then, and then slap her literally to keep slap her, awake, her around like to a, wake her up and the sound effects are like bam <laughs> like bam and jack lemon is just like freaked out about by it and i would be totally in his shoes i'd be like oh like and you need to do this but uh yeah like it i mean it feels it feels really rough but it's like I, I don't know much about 1960s medicine but it feels necessary yeah to like keep her awake and Ugh. And then they pump her full of coffee. 
Yeah. Basically, the worst way to have coffee. Oh. At night, in the Force middle of the fed. night. Oh, no. You want that in the morning, waking mm. up. So she's scarred for life. <laughs> um, and they march her around the apartment for a while. Like, Dr. Dreyfus gives him, like, a bunch of, you got to shape up, you bum. Yeah. And he's like, eh. He's like, You're, what are you going to do, ladies? <laughs> and I, is it, I, I don't think that Jack Lemon feels like this character like the character of Sheldrake has any redeeming qualities at this point, or maybe he does because there's just something where it goes against my nature to be thought of like that. And Jack Lemon didn't need to be thought of like that. He could have done so much work lying yeah. because he's, it's obvious that he's good at lying, but why doesn't he now? I think, well, it, it comes to a, or why does he lie now? Because he, why does he choose this lie? Um, well, he has other lies too later on that I also want to talk about. Sure. Um, and this is the kind of conflict I really like in a movie because there are other movies where there's a misunderstanding or there's just a bald faced lie that a person tries to keep up for two hours, mm-hmm. and that movie always ends with like. I think it's time I tell you what's going on. And there's like that big confession scene to like, I'm not actually his grandma or something like silly. Like you're, I'm not actually Mrs. Doubtfire. Like Mm -hmm. it's just like, I'm actually your dad or something like that. This is like, it's not like he's trying to keep up a single lie. It's just that he's just trying to save face for everybody in the most respectable way. And he will fall on the sword every time. Yeah. But it's also, you're right. It it definitely is that, but it's also him saying, I've picked this character. I have to stick to this character. Yeah. Which is, is kind of like what you were describing before where he's like, well, I can't break from character now. Maybe, maybe he's really bad at lying, (laughs) but he's like in this part, he's like, I know this part. I think he's in for good, but I also think it comes to a, I think an equally good question of self-respect is self-respect fighting to maintain an image for yourself so that people understand understand you properly or is self-respect meaning not worrying what other people think and damned if they get you wrong who cares you you respect yourself because of the actions that you've taken so you're not going to let these people false beliefs about you get you down and i think that's why can't it be both well i think that's the tack he's taken and it's just kind of like well then this is the life you have for yourself if that's how you're going to do it i think it's a it to me it seems like the less enjoyable life for sure yeah but but he seems like that kind of character so it rings true yeah so he calls fred mcmurray he's like yo your girl up (laughs) here you gotta get down here and fred mcmurray's like it's christmas morning (laughs) And there's something kind of Mephistopheles about it where he is telling like, oh, I I can't come down. I'm in Connecticut with my family. But, you know, you should take care of her. I'm counting on you. And there's this dual pronged thing of like he wants to take care of her because he likes her in the first place. Mm -hmm. And absolutely he's going to take care of her. But there's also I feel like he has this feeling of like, oh, I'm going to look really good for the boss. Like this is going to make me look real good. Yeah, you're right. There's there's this weird morality here where he's he has found himself in maybe not the most perfect situation, but for the circumstances, a pretty good one. I think it's a devil's deal because he is getting the thing that he originally wanted by helping out the devil. Right, right. But he's 
but he's not doing harm per se. Right. Like, and so, so it's morally of gray. Of course he would take the chance to do it yeah. because he gets to do something good. Oh, it's very good. But when <laughs> he get and he gets what he gets rewarded because mm-hmm. the they have a wonderful sequence of getting to know each other and he nurses they her play back gin to rummy. health. They play gin rummy. It's it's really wonderful and they get to they get the good relational he development. Can, he confesses about trying to kill himself once. Yeah. Like and and Billy Wilder when he's talking through Jack Lemon and and I I are what's what's his name um, Diamond or something yeah he, he also Diamond, wrote, co-writer yeah he also wrote um, some like a hot uh, they when they speak through Jack Lemon's mouth it's like yeah and I committed I almost committed suicide yeah and it's uh, like how are you smiling through this scene <laughs> and I mean there is something to be said about having tragedy in your past and that allowing you, and like coming through that. And that allowing you to be able to talk about it in a way that is less tragic. Yeah. But um, Jack Lemmon is such a goof. Yeah. That it 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 reads weird but true. But it works wonderfully because it's like, well, we're in the midst of this suicide thing, so we might as well talk it out. Yeah. And he yeah. does a great job of it. Yeah. And his stories, you know, it, it feels very him where yeah. he, he messes up by shooting himself in the knee. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then... We don't get this until later, but did you see the callback to that gun? We see the gun. Yeah, but that's the gun that he yeah. Yeah, shot yeah, himself yeah. with. Yeah. And how dark is it that he didn't get rid of that gun? He still has the He gun. kept it maybe with like the off chance he needed oh, to right. try to use it again. Why keep a gun? He went to get the gun for the express purpose of that. Because yeah. he, it's not like he just had a gun laying around. Yeah. Like, why wasn't it taken away from Look him? Look at this by yarn that we're pulling. Good lord. <laughs> so, anyway, like they're they're about to have a fantastic date where she, she keeps saying that she wants to call home and but she's kind of loopy. And I I feel like I feel like you could have just called home. Like he could have just let her call home. And I yeah. know he's he's trying to save her face, but um Ult- ultimately I think he is trying to save her face because she would open up a can of worms that would just get worse and worse and worse for herself. He's like, it's just better not. And yeah. I think there could have been a like, hey, I'm alive, I'm fine, bye. <laughs> just yeah. like do uh-huh. a quick call and just just get it over quick. But, you know, they need to set up the next scene, which is they're having this nice dinner. They've hung out for basically like 36 hours or so, it seems. Mm-hmm. They didn't go into work the next day. And they're having this great spaghetti dinner. I love how he strains the spaghetti with a yeah. tennis racket. And his his apartment, and I'll get to this later, is kind of with Nil and I-esque. Yeah. Um, but wonderfully we'll get... Bachelor-esque. Yeah. Then her brother-in-law shows up. He... So when you saw him come mm-hmm. like streak into that lobby, yeah. did you instantly know who that was? No. I, I'm not going to brag and say I knew, but it was one of those filmmaking things where she just slipped... Oh, I live with my sister and my oh, brother-in-law. I know who the character was. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about his oh, actor. actor. No, no, no. no yeah. Character. No, I know who he was. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she just like, oh, yeah, he he drives a cab. And I'm like, what a weird thing to tell us. Like, mm-hmm. we didn't ask. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but we have that detail just kind of floating around. It's like, huh, career as a cab driver. <laughs> and then we see this cabbie. And we're like, oh, brother-in-law. That's why I think this writing team is so good because mm-hmm. they they obviously like wrote this script and put it through its paces and like got it to a place where any thread that you pulled on actually made sense. Yeah. You know? And so he he gets told by the bosses that uh, Jack Lemon has basically 
done away with at this point in time. Like he doesn't care as much about them. Yeah. Um, and so they get their retaliation. They're like, Oh, Miss Kubelik. Yeah. She's at this cad's house. You should go oh, there. Yeah. And we didn't even like, I think it's Mr. Kirkby who yeah, shows like, up. Come on, date. let me have the room. And he's like, no, 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 you can't come in. And, and he, he sees, sees Mrs. Kubelik. Kubelik. Like, oh, I see. And this is, this is where the movie gets all sexy again, because he's like, say, why don't we have ourselves a party? The four of us. no, Boss, leave, please. I don't want to have sex with your old wrinkled butt. Um, and so, like, they sent him over. He, again, another moment where C.C. Baxter has the opportunity to be like, I've been taking care of her because she got sick. Mm-hmm. But instead, he says, well, you know, we've been having a great time. She's terrific. Uh, oh, and then, but, 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 like... The doctor comes over and he's like, "Oh, is is my patient okay?" And the the brother in law is like, "Oh, what what's what's wrong with her?" And if he's gonna lie, he might as well lie here and say she had the flu, right? But instead, he says, "You know oh, how you know, it she is." Took, she took a bunch of sleeping pills. You know how girls are, and he like cads it up in a way he doesn't need to be. No, he <laughs> cads it up in a really horrific way that is like wow, you were really playing the part right now is because he's like, oh, it was an accident. And they're like, what do you mean it was an accident? It's like, well, she had a few too many sleeping pills. You know how it is when guys want to get with girls. Yeah. Like he makes it sound horrific on I know. his part. Well, not only on on his part, but he kind of throw. I personally think he throws her a little bit under the bus here. No, I think he threw himself under the bus. Well, I think that- he was saying he was the... That, person, that the too, but it. if if you're lying already, mm-hmm. why not say she had the flu? It's just as easy. I don't think I don't think that would have took. You don't think it's it's like she if you're, would, if it's, you're going. It's, it's not Pride and Prejudice. She could have gone home with the flu. No, not necessarily. Like flu flu still sucks. Flu can be really no, bad. I, I wouldn't have bought it if I was food a poisoning. I wouldn't have bought it. What how? How are, you gonna, how are you going to skip work this week? And Food not, poisoning, and obviously. And not call? Like, what's the reason for not calling? What's the reason for the secret secretiveness? What's, I don't know. This is this is something that you come up with as a story beforehand if you're going to be lying all over the place. It, That's it, all I'm saying. It made perfect sense to me, and, like, it was the biggest sword he could possibly it, fall on. It doesn't, it doesn't not make sense. It's just, like, he doesn't have to be that big of a cad. Well, he has to sell the story of a sleeping pill overdose. Mm-hmm. How? Well, he doesn't how... have to. <laughs> he didn't even have to, like, he didn't have to be the one that told her story is basically where I'm going with this. He could have been like, hey, do you want to, like, talk to him? Because I think I think in the moment it slipped out that she had too many sleeping pills. Like, did the doctor? I think I he think... says that, though. Okay, well, in that case, he is an idiot. Because the, the doctor was like, like looking to him, like, "How do you want to play this?" And he's like, "Well, sleeping pills. You know how it is with things." Yeah. Well, I, I, I think I think it did. The way I experienced the scene, at least, uh-huh. is that there was an accident. Sleeping pills were involved, uh-huh. and he could the only the only one of two ways he thought could go through it was a she tried to kill herself, or b I dosed her with it. And oh, I don't even think he communicates that. It, I, that's what I read is that oh. he's saying, I, I'm the one who dosed her, and that's why there was an accident. I was just trying to have my way with her. And you know oh. how it is. No, I, that was my read. Okay. That he was 
Plain. I kind of want to go back and re-watch that because I don't think the movie goes that dark. Brian been sick or something? No, just a little accident. What does he mean, accident? Well, these things happen all the time. What things? Say, what kind of a doctor are you anyway? Not that kind of doctor. He just, just gave her a shot, pumped out her stomach. What for? Because I took some sleeping pills, but I'm all right now, so let's go. Why'd you take sleeping pills? On account of me. You? Who else? And then he gets punched, and then the doc is like, hey, buddy, no big deal, whatever. But you kind of deserved it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the way this movie wraps up is the secretary, like, when she finds Sabotages out... Sabotages him. Yeah. Sabotages Fred McMurray's character. Because she gets fired. Mm-hmm. Why again? She gets fired because she kind oh, of... Oh, she's the one who told... Miss Kublik, Kublik uh, yeah. everything, and then she gets fired out of retaliation, and so she goes and tells the wife about everything. And and here's the other thing, C.C. Baxter, you could have done this too to any of these guys when they're threatening you and being like, "Well, we might not give you a promotion." They would have retaliated right against him, against him and thrown him out too. They would have took him with them. If if you're gonna play the bluffing game with somebody, mm-hmm. say, "Hi, I'm going to ruin your whole life," or. I could fire you. Which one has the more hand in that situation? Because I'm pretty sure C.C. Baxter does. He's not a good blackmailer. No, I don't think he is. That's the thing is that I don't, I think there's a line that he would never cross. And I think blackmailing is one of those things. It's like, have a semi-official brothel. I'm fine with that. Blackmail? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, And I don't even think that he's necessarily against it. I just think that he's innocent. Yeah, he doesn't think of it. He's kind of a good person but he's also an idiot. Mm -hmm. So he like, cause I just wanted to be there. I wanted to be his, his devil on his shoulder and be like, look kid, you don't even know. (laughs) Take him down. (laughs) But so he gets everything he ever wanted and he gets the junior role next to Fred McMurray. And it's because of what I said earlier, this devil's deal that he took that for him was perfectly innocent. Cause all he had to do was take care of Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. But I mean, he also, he's hurt as mm-hmm. well like he doesn't take the elevator and you know he's he's not mean about it or anything but he's like you know i'm i'm up here i have three windows and it's so sad it's so sad when he's describing how great his job is yeah because like he has more money now but his office just looks like a boring slightly larger version of the one he did yeah and and we just see how hollow a victory this has all been yeah it's billy wilder like taking corporate america and being like boom <laughs> boom boom left and a right <laughs> but in subtle ways yeah and so, so there's a great turnaround where fred mcmurray asks for the key gotta see the girl because yeah. i left my wife gotta give the key and we're like don't do it don't do it and he gives him he gives him key. the key but and like i was i couldn't remember what happened and so i was like did is it the real oh man it's the real key sucks oh. and then fred mcmurray's like Baxter, this is the wrong key. Baxter. Jack Lemon's like, fuck yeah, it's the wrong key. I'm out of here, you fucking asshole. And then he like drops his mic and then he throws a desk. Peace to the Middle East. He kisses the older replacement secretary, like full on the mouth, tons of tongue. And then he, then he leaves. Yeah, and he, he goes home and Shirley MacLaine has, she has kind of a similar like realization at the New Year's party where... 
she realizes Baxter quit his job. Mm. Baxter! Baxter! Um, And something about that move, which I think I can read, is that she's like, he... He doesn't care about the game anymore because I think she figured out. Oh, it was because he wouldn't give him the apartment. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just like stood up for himself mm-hmm. and showed backbone. And-, and and not only that, but like he kind of I think he kind of plays this card like I have feelings for this person. Thus, like Mr. Sheldrake can't because if he had been bringing a different woman there, I don't think it would have been as much of a problem. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he knew who it would be is is what did that and there's there's like a thin transference but i do still think it works that she reads that yeah 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 this conversation and so she runs to him and there's this weird dark joke at the end where she hears this like pop like this bang and she's like holy shit he did it i mean robin thought it happened when we were watching this she's like oh no because Chekhov's gun makes rears its ugly ass head we see the gun come out because he's he's packing packing his apartment up And he's like, oh, no, it's champagne, New Year's. And then it ends with them just having a nice night of gin rummy together. Yeah. And you know what? We also, right before this, we get the scene where Dr. Dreyfus comes over and he's like, hey, you know what? Bygones no be bygones. Feelings. You want to come over and have a party? And I, I, I want to see like this second movie where mm-hmm. they do think that he used to be a son of a bitch, but they're like, hey you know what? You're our new friend and I want to see him and Mr. and Mrs. Dreyfus become best friends <laughs> or as a, and, and, um, Shirley MacLaine. And I like, I like Dreyfus's wife cause she also helps nurse. Yeah, that's right. Miss Kublik to life. And it's just like, it's nice to see some humanity. Yeah. You know, and she gives him an even harder time than uh, her husband does. And he's like, uh, I'm, you're right. I am a disgusting person. <laughs> and can I actually, uh, Remix this movie just a little bit. Remix. Remix. Um, The first key to writing is to write. You're right. A lot of movies these days would have had them confess at the end and been like, "I'm not really a bad guy. I've just been doing this, which isn't as bad as you think." I only did it because I loved you. Yeah. But I think the the way that it's more interestingly done is when another character sticks up for the main character and like that's where the truth gets revealed, mm-hmm. where it would have been nice if just one person outside of Fran Kubelik knew how good he was or at least got an inkling mm-hmm. where Mrs. Dreyfus is coming and taking care of her. Um, when she's in bed and still recovering and she's like, you got to get yourself a nice man. Right. You know, and like little does she know that she's actually talking about CC Baxter Mm -hmm. and you know, it'd just be nice for like one line or something where she doesn't have to like expouse about how great CC Baxter is, but like something where she's like, you know, CeCe's not so bad. He's been taking care of me like real mm-hmm. nice. Or I think I've found one or, you know, uh, like something, something right there. I would have just added just a, like a little glimmer of hope to that moment. Yeah. See, cause we don't really get inside her head. I think she's enjoying her time being nursed back to health with him, but we don't quite see that she's taken with him. We don't no. really see that. No, but she does know how good of a guy he is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe she starts to see his quality as a romantic hero when she gets decked by the brother-in-law. Yeah. Um, which 
I don't want to live in a world where you have to get decked in order to show your romantic interest in someone. Yeah, but it was the 60s. What can you do is the 60s. Well, I think that's our movie. Did you like it? I loved this movie. Me too. I'm glad. Let's keep talking about it when we come back after the break for Trope Talk. And we're back with Trope Talk. It's like Sock Talk, because there's usually one on C.C. Baxter's door. Oh, very good. Very good. Clap, 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 clap. Well, today's trope, Ryan, is what I think I'm going to call I'm My Own Worst Bellamy. Mm. And it's the lead character in your romantic comedies. Um, This one, not necessarily romantic comedy, but it's close enough. It, it definitely is close enough. And I think one of the main reasons this is on our list is because for years, like I grew up thinking this was a romantic comedy because like anytime I'm reading like an AFI top 100 list yeah. or something, they're like one of the great romantic comedies. I don't, I, I think maybe before the 1990s romantic comedies or like <laughs> late 80s romantic comedies were just a little more hardcore sometimes <laughs> very hardcore but my own worst bellamy is basically your main character who just makes all the wrong choices in order to get the girl until or the guy you know to get the whoever until the end of the movie mm-hmm. i think it's any moment where you're setting yourself up to become the not the hero of the story but the second to somebody else's story because i think cc baxter in this movie is basically sheldrake's number two like he is he is the like subservient underling to somebody who is allowing everybody else to have a life while he tragically watches himself like not get cuckolded because he never had the girl in the first place. Right. You know, and it's, it's this, this weird man boy who doesn't get the girl until he sacrifices basically everything. Yeah. We kind of see this in four weddings and a funeral where Hugh Grant is kind of a, kind of a schnook. Cause (laughs) as this movie, you know, gainfully employs because Andy McDowell, kind of takes advantage of him because she's engaged to be married most of the movie Uh and they still have a tryst together and it's like at the end of the day Hugh Grant is the one losing the girl and getting his heart crushed and she's kind of having her cake and eating it too right until things miraculously happen in his favor yeah he basically gives up like what what happens is these characters give up like everything they're holding on to from their past in order to get the romantic love that they want. Mm-hmm. Like he basically, Hugh Grant, to use your example, is about to get married to this person who's always still kind of wanted him. Yeah. And he knows is a safe choice in a way. Yeah. And he leaves her at the altar because he's like, you know what? I have to take the plunge. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to possibly be with Annie McDowell, then I can't be with this person. Right. And with CC Baxter, he has to, he's been sycophantically like trying to get this job and wheedling his way up to the top of this job. And when he finally gets there, he realizes that it's not what's going to make him happy. Mm-hmm. 
and especially if he's going to have to live this like horrible life that he's set up for himself because really he's reaping what he sowed yeah which is upper management whoever's above him gets to use his apartment for sex i think a lot of my own worst bellamies are people who try to do the right thing and not the thing that they want because like meg ryan and sleepless in seattle finds herself falling in love with this guy on the radio and she's like okay maybe i went a little crazy i'll just marry walter Right, yeah. Uh (laughs) And I'll just stay with safe Walter and it's fine. But she has to like face facts and realize that she's got to go for it. Sure. I never would have pulled that one as an example just Mm -hmm. because they're not like actively trying to be with each other the whole time. But that is a a well-made point that even even these like distance peoples who almost make themselves bellamy's usually do it by marrying themselves to something that they don't necessarily want yeah it's like truth is what outs Mm -hmm. right truth is what brings people together not doing something you think is not even good but expected yeah like hugh grant he is expected to marry at Mm -hmm. some point in time they have this big conversation in the movie it's like are we ever going to get married can we get married is it worth getting married and uh, in this movie, Jack Lemon is expected to climb the corporate ladder, right? Right. And however he can to possibly get up to the top, because then he's living an American ideal. Mm-hmm. But like the the thing is, people, if I can get up on my my pedestal here and just kind of talk to the crowd a little bit, live your truth, <laughs> go after what you want, because you will not be making anybody else happy in your life by not doing that. I think communication <laughs> is key. Love is key. Truth is key. Go forth. I think it's a better challenge to give yourself to do the thing that you love so you don't work a day in your life and make a lot of money doing it. Like, I think that's the real good challenge you should be giving yourself. Get really good at it and make a lot of money doing that thing. Are you are you throwing this back in my face right now? Because I'm no. not doing that. Wait, what what are you doing right now? Being a dad, <laughs> you're you're like just go out and do what you love, but make sure you make a ton of money doing. I'm it. I'm just saying, in my 30s, now that I have a child, and now that it's like it's like the game is really on to like really provide because like when you're in your 20s and you're married, it's like just make sure you got the four walls and the food and you're good. But mm-hmm. with a child, it feels a lot more tenuous. Even though nothing's really changed, you're still working. Everyone's working just as hard and you're making good money. But it's still, when you have this little thing looking up at you, it's like, ah, I got to buy him a Ferrari for him. Like it, it makes you go a little oh, crazy. I, didn't, I have not gotten to there and I hope I never do. <laughs> but do you not have the fear of like, what if what if everything goes to hell in a handbasket and I won't be able to take care of my family? No, no. Uh, but I've worked um, freelance for six years longer than you. Mm-hmm. And so... That's a fear that is just... You, you just have been living with that fear. It's yeah. just ever-present. You've but, gotten accustomed to Oh, uh, no, no. I, I've grown accustomed to this fear. <laughs> I've gone through scary fear, always afraid, to the point where now I know it's okay. I'll be able to find work no matter what. Uh, and I honestly, children, they say children cost a lot of money. But I know that my child's not really going to cost that much money right now. She's just costing sleep and sanity. Right. Uh, you know, I just, I guess I'm saying I get where CC Baxter is coming from. And it's, I, I feel like it makes more sense if he had more dependence in his life. Cause it's like, you just want to get super successful and super rich and just not live in this shitty apartment. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like back up there. I don't think that 
Billy Wilder would agree with what you're saying. What? That like that your situation is equivalent to Jack Lemmon's situation. He would say you're being noble yourself right now. You're, you know, working a job that you like. You're not you're not making as much money as you want, but you're doing something that you love and you're building a family and you're mm-hmm. living your truth. Jack Lemmon didn't have a truth to live for before he like finally like fell a little bit more in love with Shirley MacLaine. But, but is the question, my question is, is it a completely hollow aspiration? What he wants? Yes. Completely hollow, completely hollow. And I think it's demonstrated through actually the art where you have CC Baxter sitting on at his desk. Right. And it's like cluttered with a bunch of stuff that just gets covered up overnight. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's busy work and it's keeping him busy and he's really good at it. And then he gets into this office. What's in this office, Ryan? Nothing. A desk and a chair. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. And like later on, we see this office again. That's still what's in it. It is by definition hollow. Yeah. The office that he moves into with uh, next to Sheldrake. Yeah. Same thing. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I, I can't prove this and I haven't looked this up, but... I think that Sheldrake is this this sounds <laughs> makes me sound like a conspiracy theory. I feel like that guy on the history channel who's like aliens. <laughs> but a Drake is a dragon, right? And he's hoarding <laughs> and he's hoarding gold. And he's also a shell of a human being because mm. he's not living his truth. I think it's a weird portmanteau that Billy Wilder and the the other writer came up with one night where they're like, what's what's a name that we can like build personality into? And they're like, well, he's a shell of a human and he's also a dragon, but we can't call him Shell Dragon, so we'll call him Shell Drake. Mm-hmm. And I so I'll I, buy it. I, I don't I don't think that there's any nobility in C.C. Baxter's pursuits. I think the nobility only comes with Fran. Mm, yeah, I I don't agree with you. <laughs> But what's like argue for his 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 nobility in climbing the ladder? I don't think there's a nobility in climbing the ladder, but I don't think it's um, it's intrinsically wrong to have that aspiration in the first place to uh, to want to climb the ladder to succeed at his job because he's very good at it and he wants to keep being good at it as and long keep as, succeeding as long as it brings him joy. Fine, whatever. Yeah. I think there's there's nobility in that. I think selling yourself out mm-hmm. and selling your apartment out in order just to get promoted. Yeah. When really what he likes is insurance. Right. Like he's not doing it for joy. He's doing it so that he can have $94 a week. Right. But is he, you're, you're saying he's a sellout basically. No, not a, not a sellout per se. I think he's, he is sucking joy out of his life in order to get himself something that is actually hollow and he just doesn't realize it until the end of the movie. I think it's only hollow because of the conundrum with with Fran and with um, with Sheldrake. I think if none of that happened, I don't think he would have had a hollow victory. I think he would have been like, "Well, that was rough, but I got through it." I think it would have been. I think it would have been fine. I think, and I think Billy Wilder would say to that, "And what a sad man." Mm. Well, because he doesn't have love. All he has sure. is this hollow job. Sure, looking over these thirty-one thousand people. <laughs> true well there you go (laughs) that's the apartment that is the apartment uh ryan speaking of apartments let's open this door and go over to our apartment where we keep our patreon (laughs) sarah's like close the door (laughs) 
Uh, yes, at the Patreon, I've got great news. The month is over. We can pick our next movie. And uh, Ryan, tell me the good news of our Lord and Savior. I'll give you Mr. the good Patreon. news. This is the Gideon's Bible of good news when it comes to rom-coms. We have the end of our April movie poll. The people have spoken. They have made their votes clear. We are doing both. It's a tie. My best friend's wedding and bridesmaids and so we will be checking those out i am so excited to show you my best friend's wedding next week i've seen it again again <laughs> let's I, I let's pick it at the end i i think i have a a way that we can can decide which one we're watching next week okay 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 um you also have i think written an essay for I, us this I week. once again went to the movies and i saw uh the unbearable weight of massive talent not to be confused with another film that is in wide release, Everything Everywhere All at Once. These long titles. Same, same syllable amount? The unbearable weight of massive talent. 11. Everything Everywhere All at Once. No, nine. Okay, oh, this great. is close. Uh, <laughs> this, every, not everything, the massive weight of talent. That Nicolas Cage is the unbearable in. weight of unbearable massive talent. Yeah, is the Nicolas Cage movie about being Nicolas Cage? What surprised me about this movie is that it was shocking, shockingly relatable and shockingly insightful to me deep down in my heart, which is a movie all about being specifically Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. The universal is in the specific, yep. and the movie worked wonders on me. I cannot wait to watch it, and I can't wait to read your essay. Should I see the movie before I read your essay? Are there going to be spoilers? Um, no spoilers. But if you want like a completely fresh read of the movie, go see it. Sure. But you know, I mean, you're you're spoiling here. You're you're recommending this movie. Highly recommend the Great. movie, cool. and almost just a personal response of like, "Gee, it it touched me." So, where did Nick Cage touch you? Show me on the doll. <laughs> Show me on the Nick Cage doll. Uh, also, this month we've got Gilmore Girls season four. Um. Good talk, good conversation. Um, looking forward to having that out there. <laughs> <laughs> it'll get, it'll, it'll get, get there. It's, it's, it's going up this month. Yeah. And I think that's about it. You want to pick the the next room of movies or save that till next week? We'll do it next week. We'll I do can it. Wait. We'll do it next week. Well, I think then you should probably transition us over to the next segment. Well, do it. Do it, Baxter. I will. I Give will, me the key. Give me the key to the next segment. Give you the brass key to open up the cabinet for our Golden Sword Award. She. A blessing from the Lord. God be praised. The Golden Sword. I like Dr. Dreyfus a lot. <laughs> uh, like a lot, a lot. When you make out your will and the way you're going, you should. Would you mind leaving your body to the university? My body? <laughs> I'm afraid you guys would be disappointed. You're right, Doc. Slow down, kid! I you want him to be your neighbor. I want him to be my neighbor. I want him to give C.C. Baxter less of a hard time, but I think he does give him the exact right amount of hard time that C.C. Baxter asks for. Mm -hmm. He's like, all I want is a, a mustachioed, really cool Jewish doctor living next door to me. 
if at all possible, in my life. And I haven't had that yet. I'm really close right now with my neighbors, but neither of them are doctors. <laughs> and So disappointing. And I, there's just something so... I, I don't know what it is. Like, he, he almost seems like he's out of another movie sometimes. Like, when he walks into his apartment and he says... He's at it again! He's at it again! He's got another one! Um, that and his mustache and his, like, willingness to help and be neighborly. And, like, he, he admonishes Jack Lemmon at one point in time. He's like, you know, be a mensch. And, mm-hmm. like, that's... That, like, Jack Lemmon takes that to heart and, mm-hmm. like, throws that in Sheldrake's face later. And mm-hmm. there's something about him where I trust him with the golden sword. Right. You know, so I'm going to give it Slay to him for dragon. safekeeping. Slay the dragon. Slay the sheldrake. Um, I'm going to give it, my golden sword goes to a moment in the movie mm, where- I love this. Get an abstract. We uh, catch up with Baxter, who's slammed at this bar. And we know specifically how slammed he is, because what Baxter has lined up in a circle- are the olives on toothpicks from mm. his martinis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we can count the several martinis that this guy has had tonight. Yeah. And we and it's just the greatest, like this is just good cinema where it's like, mm, I instantly get what's going on. I like he 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 takes one out and drops it in his ream of other ones that are sitting there. Mm-hmm. And it lands perfectly. And then he adjusts it to be perfect in a different way. Yeah. And I was just like Jack Lemmon's so talented. He's so fun. I love him in this movie. He's just just grinning his way through whatever's going on. You know, I bet Jack Lemmon has a rom-com Oscar in his back pocket. He just blasted out of Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Listen up, you fuckers. (laughs) He's got he's got Oscars, right? He's got some Oscars. Let's see. Two Oscars. One, two Oscars. For Save the Tiger, a movie I've never heard of. And, and Mr. Roberts. Mr. Roberts. And he didn't win for something like it hot or the apartment. The two well, and Grumpy Old Men, which he should have won for. I mean, come what, on. He wasn't even nominated. What a tragedy. He should have been nominated for Glenn Gary Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. That's That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. Anyways, um my Oscar um easiest one to Goes figure to the out. olives <laughs> uh best screenplay easy oh very good easy. choice best screenplay it is a great screenplay we've already kind of talked about why it's so wonderful any any last words um just that again i'm a, a broken record tonight but the conundrum part because you may think this man has some hollow goals but i still think it's a lot more complicated i mm, think mm-hmm. he he has good intentions out of everything that he does. I think he's good intentioned. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. You, I think you can be kind and good intentioned and a wonderful human being, but still have some hollow goals in life. I wouldn't Granted, call it one hundred percent a hollow. Goal. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it one hundred percent hollow because it's obvious that he derives some form of joy from insurance, and he want to make that money. He want to make that cash money. Yeah, because if he truly just enjoyed it for the work itself, he would stay right where he is because he gets to work at the insurance place. He doesn't need to go through this. Here's how little I know of Baxter, though. His whole life is hanging out at his apartment. Mm -hmm. Right. Not really wanting to watch movies because Billy Wilder is also making fun of commercialism and Uh. and television. Um, and going to work and then giving his apartment for other people to do good things at. Mm -hmm. And so 
he's going to get this money that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And is, is he going to have a more enriching life then? Like, is that the, is that the moral that we want from this movie? As long as you have more money, <laughs> your life will be better. Well, certainly not. It is. And in that sense, it is kind of a, a, a false, almost a false goal because it's like, is that what you really want? Jack lemon. I mean, as, as long as like, I knew some of his dreams or something, maybe that wouldn't be like, if, if, if I had to, input a little bit into this perfect screenplay i maybe maybe he has like a place he wants to go or like a, a maybe he just wants a house in a country with like you know a lady that he likes or something he doesn't seem to have dreams well there is this 20th century ideal at play and i think it is billy wilder being like it's fucking stupid it <laughs> is this like well you go and get a job and then you work hard to make the job a better job but no matter what you have to work in a building yeah and you have to wear a suit and, and you one day you'll retire and you want to like if you want your day to be nice you want to like move up the ladder there's no middle ground there's no other way there's no yeah. other job there's no other career you and i are in these weird careers where it's like i don't know like today I did this shoot and you know did yeah. all this and blah, blah 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 it's like we don't have that like imprisonment reality that these past generations had it's like we have no choice i mean i know people we who ha- work like this today we have to work in this building so if i'm gonna have to be in this prison i might as well shawshank redemption it and like go work <laughs> with the warden and le- at least that's be the why warden's he, account that's <laughs> why he was wearing those shoes <laughs> But you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's like, I think he's just trying to make his prison a little bit nicer and he's just a caged bird and he's well, trying he, to sing. But he doesn't. Yes. Why does the caged bird sing? Because it doesn't know it's <laughs> in the cage. Is that the answer? I think a little bit. I, I think. He, and I think he, Billy I think, Wilder is is rolling it on for us. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I think I think Billy Wilder knows that CC Baxter doesn't realize he's in a cage. Yeah. 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 And I guess that's my point is that it's not that the aspiration is hollow. It's just the thing that it's the aha moment that he's going to have. It's not that he's got like just kind of a bland goal. I, 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 I mean, it is bland, you, but I, I guess I'm just saying I'm real. I'm relating to this man. And I, no, that's, and that's fine. You that's can relate to this to. man. I relate to this man. I would like to be paid more money. <laughs> like that would be nice, but how far would you go? And that's a good, that's a good conundrum. That's, that's where the good writing is for me. I mean, I just, quit. you wouldn't go that far. I just quit my job. <laughs> so obviously not that far. Yeah. But my boss was using my apartment. <laughs> no, no, thank goodness. But, but tell the audience, you did put up with some shit at your job. Yes. Yeah, this, this for past sure. month. But the thing is, I don't see him putting up with shit to survive. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where I feel like I'm at. Mm-hmm. And so I don't necessarily relate to him because he's he wants to climb the ladder for. Why? He mm-hmm. has a nice apartment. I like his apartment. It's a nicer apartment than mine, it seems like. <laughs> um, <laughs> because he strains his spaghetti with a tennis racket. I think that's yeah, part of He doesn't of what... have to, though. <laughs> he doesn't have to. He's also going out and buying seven martinis, so... That's true. But as we did see with, like, if you're going to drink at Rick's, like, apparently you can afford as many martinis as you want because sure. martinis were cheap. So, all right. My 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 Oscar. <clears throat> I think I'm giving this to the art direction. Yeah. Or maybe the production design. I'm giving it to the production design because the sets in this movie feel so intentional. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I'm going to say, did you notice anything about these sets 
that reminded you of a different movie? Um, or any of these shots? Yeah, I I thought it strange that this movie reminded me so much of Star Wars, but here we are. <laughs> okay, well, never mind then. No, what, what was the movie? It would... Okay, if you go to the beginning of this movie, mm-hmm. um, it... Uh, like he goes to his apartment, right? But then he gets kicked out of his apartment. There's a scene of him in the kitchen, um, and I, I, I oh, was, you 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 uh, buried the lead with Nell and I with Nell and I, yeah. So not only is the shot of him in the kitchen very similar to the one with Nell and I, and the kitchen is actually just very similar because it's it's like a weird rectangle, yeah. But then we see the shot of him sitting on the bench. Like this oh, big lonely bench true. by that's himself, very interesting. and it's in a line of really long benches, yeah. which is like a completely opposite shot of earlier in the movie when he's sitting in a chair surrounded by desks and desks of people. Mm-hmm. When when he comes home, he's just as alone, if if not a little bit more singular in a different way, because he's sitting on this bench that goes on yeah. for miles, but he's the only one there. It's and, an interesting comp because you're like, I like this guy's apartment. I want it. And you compare it to Withnail and I, which is literally living in squalor. I that, would love that apartment. I would just decorate it, it differently. You would clean whatever matter was in the sink. Exactly. But uh, so I, I just I loved the production design. I, I bet Bruce Robinson was really into this movie. Um, I, I don't doubt it. Yeah. I don't and, doubt it. And just for a lot of reasons that we've already stated from the the office to the home to the bars like uh especially the chinese restaurant i thought that yeah. restaurant was super cool yeah um and i like that they had a booth but it did seem kind of lame they were at this party but they weren't partying with anybody they were sitting in the back being like i'm sitting in the back but yeah that's my oscar i love it tell me who would you fall in love with are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends. The truth of it is, I loved you from the first second I met you. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul. And I love, and love, and love you. I know. I think it's really easy for me here. I think I'm falling in love with Shirley MacLaine. Fran. Um, she is so lovely. She is. I think Baxter would annoy me a little bit with his chipperness. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I don't like somebody positive, but he seems like when he's playing gin rummy, he is, he's throwing a lot of energy into this moment. Yeah. It's like, can you calm down? I tried to kill myself last yeah. night. <laughs> I literally just spent four hours throwing up and then walking back and forth across the apartment. Um, I think she is, Somebody who loves strongly, she seems too patient for her own good, mm-hmm. but I can relate. I can really relate to that. And she she just lights up the room when she's happy. She has a sweetness and a softness, and she tries to see in a person the best of them and might look past some of their flaws uh, in spite of herself, if only to be a kind and good person. Yeah, and with the right person... That's a really great personality, but with, with the wrong person, and she finds herself stu- stuck with wrong people because of this innocent way of looking at others. But it's and she's not innocent; like right. she, she's very world, not world weary, but like she, she's been through the she's, ringer already. She's been 
uh, around the block, but she just keeps having an optimistic uh, attack with these people, and she still gets hurt by them, and it's not fair. It reminds me, actually, a lot of the movie we watched last week, Sleeping With Other People, because we had another character who was in love with somebody who was taking advantage of them and was sleeping around on their wife, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah. very similar situation. Indeed. Yeah. Hopefully next week we won't have that. Uh, we'll see. Okay. What are we? Uh, what are we watching next week? Why don't we just go in sequential order? We'll do my best friend's wedding. So you mean chronological? Well, that was the first one on the poll. Uh, oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. yeah I'm also sorry. chronological. Can you can you actually look at the camera and then point up to the board so our audience can see? Right up here, guys. There you go. Right here. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, next time, don't don't spike the camera directly. Uh, sorry. Just off to the sorry. side. Sorry. Sorry. I did it again. <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> well, you heard it here first. It's my best friend's wedding next. <laughs> next week? Next week. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go get some sleep, buddy. Okay. Well, before you go, I just wanted you to know that I love you so much that I would probably open a brothel in my apartment just to support our relationship. Hmm. I love you so much that I wouldn't sleep with the person that you loved in this brothel. That's very kind and generous of you. I really Thanks. appreciate it. I could. I'm your boss. No, nope, I could. But please don't. But I won't. But thank, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Give me the key to the bathroom. Okay. I love you. Love you too. <clears throat> and this is where we will say oh, goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on A Gentleman's Guide. To rom-coms. On your wedding night. Sarah's listening to this episode. She's so nervous of what the question's going to be. I know too much about your wedding night.